Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast. Guys, big stuff. I have got some training coming your way. Me and Ingrid Johnson, who does the uh, feline behavior stuff on this podcast, are talking about tips, tricks, and hacks for positively medicating cats in the hospital. So we are going to be working with team members on um, the best ways to get medications into fractious cats and to keep them safe. If you're like, oh man, my team could really benefit for this. Or, man, I wish I was better at getting pills into, into bad kitty cats when they're at the hospital or secured kitty cats. Listen, they're not bad. We know, we know I'm joking when I say that. But um, if you're like, oh, this is great, I'm going to drop the link in the show notes. It's going to be on uh, Wednesday, October 24th. Ingrid, or October 28th, sorry. It'll be on Wednesday, October 28th. Ingrid Johnson and I are going to be doing it. Um, we're going to do it first thing in the morning, Eastern time, and then we're going to do it midday, Eastern time. And you're like, why? It's so that the West Coast people can get in on the later session, and it'll be first thing in the morning for them. It is also so that people in the East and center of the nation, if they don't want to shut their clinic down, but they want people to get the training, they can put up some of their staff members at the first session and some of them at the second session, and they won't overlap, and you can keep the clinic running. Uh, to be clear, this is not a thing for the whole team to sit in front of and watch. This is super interactive. People are going to be doing things. They're going to be interacting. They're going to be talking to the other people who are logged into the workshop. Um, this is not a passive thing of sit back and we're going to give you information. It is an active thing. And so if you uh, want to register multiple people, you can just let us know at the registration page. So I'll put that link down in the description. With that, let's get into this episode because, guys, this is a good one. We have got the, the vet girl. She's half of the vet girl, really, because Garrett Pattinger is the other half, and he is awesome as well. But Dr. Justine Lee is, uh, she's an idol of mine. She is someone that I set out to emulate uh, as a presenter and speaker uh, early in my career because, well, let me just tell you why. Um, and so, so first of all, let me just put on the table. Justine is, is a genius and she is amazing and you will, I mean, I just go on with accolades. You know, she was on the faculty at the university of Minnesota's college of vet medicine. She's uh, been the speaker of the year at, at NAVC, which is now VMX. She, um, she is, she's boarded in emergency critical care. She's also boarded in toxicology. Uh, she's, she's just bonkers, but here, let me tell you why I think the world of her and why I, a fanboy over her, which you'll probably hear in this episode um she's just super real she is super practical she talks about what you need to know she's not messing around she's not trying to impress you with how how uh, amazing and smart she is she just really focuses on what you actually need to know and that's why she's an amazing educator it's why i look up to her and respect the hell out of her it's why vet girl is a great uh program and a great resource and i encourage you guys to check it out so anyway without further ado let's get into this episode this is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome, 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 Dr. Justine Lee to the Cone of Shame podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, first of all, um, I am. Uh, I for, I am thrilled to be. You know that you uh you are someone that I have looked up to forever. Uh, you were uh, a person who talked to me very early about professional like public speaking stuff, and uh, I have always tried to emulate your super practical, super useful style and approach. It is um it is I I think that no one is better than you at just giving people what they need uh, to be successful as doctors. And I just want to tell you that. Oh, thank you. Right back at you. I feel oh, the same way. Tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about Vet Girl. Uh, so I, uh, I mentioned a little bit in my introduction of you 
uh, before we started this interview, but uh, you do uh, you do podcast education, you do webinar education, you guys have live events. Uh, why don't you tell us just a little bit about that before we get into this? Sure. So I actually founded Beck Girl back in 2012 with Garrett Packniger. He was a vet student when I was at Penn doing my residency and we just hit it off. He was super tech savvy and I actually came up with the idea for Beck Girl back in 2003 when I was sitting for my ECC boards, but there wasn't the technology out there at that time. So it was actually in 2011, 2012, when I decided to start it again and reach out to Garrett and I was actually studying for my toxicology boards and just wanted someone to read me a journal article while I was trail running. And so we got it off the ground. We're really excited to provide online veterinary CE. And it's grown from, you know, just a few people listening to over 3.6 million downloads on podcasts. It's been a amazing way, especially in the midst of COVID, for people to be able to get their CE from home. So it's race approved for both vets and vet techs. And it's exciting. We now offer over 100 hours of race approved CE a year um, for a subscription. And uh, it's just grown tremendously. Uh, We expanded to a veterinary conference. Our first one was in 2018 at the Mall of America. It was an inaugural conference of 550 people. Sadly, as you know, we had to cancel or postpone our one in August because of COVID, Um, but we're excited. It's still going to be at the Fairmont Hotel in Chicago, and it's capped out. It's designed to be a boutique conference, um, no more than a thousand people, and uh, we wine and dine and spoil our attendees, so really looking forward to it, but uh, hopefully COVID uh, will be over by then, but who knows? Do you have a date set for that? Yes, it's August 5th through 8th of 2021. All right, perfect. You know what? I, I I may make the trip up there. I've been I've been thinking about. I'd love I'd love to come and see. I, I That'd was, be awesome. I miss the first one. I would love to come and just see it. It's I gotta get my CE. You know how it is. Hey, <laughs> exactly. Um, I got a case that I could really use your help on. This one. Um, yeah, I just want to make sure I'm doing everything right. Can you can you check me on this? Hit me. All right, cool. Here you go. I have got a uh, two and a half year old yellow Labrador Retriever uh, named Chowhound. Uh, she's a girl. So she's a girl named Chowhound, and uh, she really lived up to her name. Uh, Mom and dad and the kids went uh, out to their um, to the grandmom's house and were spending the evening. And while they were there, and I'm not sure what order this happened in, Chowhound got into the cupboard and ate the uh, the big bowl of Halloween candy which has been acquired for the upcoming holiday. And so, I mean, it, it's, it's a mixture. I said, what did you get? And they were like, we got some of everything. And it's, it's all mixed together. Um, and then, having a taste for chocolate blood, uh, Chowhan went, went upstairs and ate a half a pan of pot brownies out of the high school kid's uh, bed. So I don't know if he got the brownies, and got, or she got the brownies and then got the munchies and then got the candy or the other way around. But it, it's a lot. And I said, how much? And they don't know. And I said, what is it? And they're like, I don't know. We found some wrappers. And then we think she just quit you know, shelling it and just ate it all straight with wrapper and all. And, and then I said, well, how much, uh, how much brownies? And they said, like a half a pan. And I said, well, how much pot is that? And the kid was like, I don't know. I got it from Dave and his stuff is not very good. And he's just highly unreliable. because you, you, you mean try. it's not my pot brownies? <laughs> no, it's not exactly right. It's not the scientist's pot brownies. Uh, where uh, the THC is titrated. This is stanky high school kid pot brownie. 
Um, that's what it is. So, um, I, 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 yeah, I just want you just to check me on this because we got we've got a couple factors at play here, and I just don't want to miss something obvious on this. So, Justine Lee, how do you how do you treat that? So, great question. You know, with any poisoning case, I always say it's the do- takes the poison because realistically, everything in the world is poisonous. Oxygen's poisonous, water's poisonous, salt is poisonous. So remember, you always want to calculate the dose. And as you mentioned with THC, it is really hard to calculate the dose. Some owners will come in and say, well, I know we got into 150 milligrams. It was a liquid THC for an e-cigarette. But honestly, we don't even know the concentration. And I will say as toxicologists, we don't even know what the toxic dose of THC is. Is. We know the LD50, which is greater than three grams per keg, but we also know that dogs and rarely cats can show clinical signs at one one hundredth of the dose of the LD50. So I'm going to say, don't even bother trying to calculate the amount of THC. But you can try to estimate how much chocolate the dog got into. So biggest mistake I see is first of all estimating how much chocolate or true theobromine is actually in brownies. It's actually really little. Okay. Most people aren't making brownies at home, right? They're using like that Betty Mm -hmm. Crocker mix. And if you actually read the ingredients, remember in the United States, ingredients appear in the order of appearance by dry weight. And cocoa is probably like the 20th ingredient. It's all artificial flavoring. (laughs) So so there's honestly very little theobromine. I would definitely worry about the THC. I would definitely worry about the amount of chocolate in the Halloween candy. Okay. So this dog's heart rate, when I check it out, is 60. So she's, she's a big girl, but you know, she's 65, 70 pound lab. A heart rate of, of 60 seems a little bit that was that caught my eye, and then she's she's a little bit atoxic, you know, not not can't get up or anything, but she's definitely not um, the nimble, graceful ballerina that she uh, that she usually is. So so I don't know I don't know if that if that means anything as far as THC and, and kind of what we're thinking as far as the dose that we're dealing with. So so giving you that information to add into this uh, does does that change your thought pattern? Great question. So the second mistake I see veterinary professionals making when it comes to the poisoning case is please look at the patient first before you Mm -hmm. consider inducing vomiting. You're right. In this scenario, most of the time, theobromine is sort of a stimulant, right? So they're usually tachycardic. They're usually agitated. They're tremoring. Very rarely, they can be hyperthermic from tremoring. So usually they're stimulated. Well, In this scenario, this dog also got into THC, which honestly will make it really bradycardic. It'll sedate the dog. It'll make it ataxic. So the dog may be having clinical signs from one or two of the toxins. So great thing. Do your physical exam first and see if it's even appropriate to induce emesis. In this scenario, I would say the mistake I see is Vets love to induce vomiting, and I love to too, but Mm -hmm. we don't do it in a really symptomatic patient. So this dog coming in with a heart rate of 60, that's weird, but at the same time, I'm going to say if the dog has an appropriate gag reflex and isn't too symptomatic, I'm actually okay inducing vomiting. Okay. Does, let me jump to my catastrophic nightmare. I'm, I'm imagining, I'm imagining that. Uh, this slightly bradycardic dog 
is also jacked up on caffeine and theobromine and uh that the the two the two, the two drugs are offsetting each other. And as soon as I start to tinker with this, uh, if I take the theobromine away, then we're going to get really bradycardic. Or somehow, if I if I if I dilute THC, then suddenly uh, we're just going to go have tachycardia shooting off the off the ceiling. Is there anything like that that I should be thinking about? If, I mean, having both of these drugs in play at the same time, is this going to get away from me in a way that I'm I'm not thinking about, or that I'm not going to pay attention to, and then all of a sudden I'm going to be in trouble? You know, great question. I would say just look at the clinical picture of the dog. You're probably right. The THC is probably masking some of the stimulatory effects of the theobromine. But in this scenario, you're right. The dog is slightly symptomatic. Normal healthy Labrador is going to come into the veterinary ER or the veterinary clinic with a heart rate of whatever, 100, 120, 150. That's totally normal. So you're right. The dog is a little bit sedate. But knowing that decontamination, at least in my opinion, is still the mainstay therapy for decontaminating or treating the poison patient, as long as the dog has an appropriate gag reflex, isn't too clinical, I've discussed the pros and cons of emesis induction with the pet owner, I'm actually okay with it. Okay, cool. Is there any diagnostics that you're really looking at here? Uh, anything that I'm going to want to make sure I have in the books? Well, great question. People ask me all the time, should I do one of those urine drug tests for pot? If you have a pet owner who says, no, they were just regular brownies, but the dog is actually showing clinical signs of THC, if they are not confessing that, you know, their dog got into THC, you can use what I call the threat of the urine drug test. Um, <laughs> so a lot of times I'll say, well, you know, if you're not sure if he got into something, I just need to make sure he didn't get into any grapes, raisins, over-the-counter medication, prescription medication, recreational drugs, pot, anything like that. You won't get in any trouble. I just need to know how to best treat your dog. And when they're like, no, no, I have no idea what it is. I'll usually be like, well, there's a $400 test we can run. It's really only, you know, 40 bucks um, <laughs> that will help us. And they'll be like, pot, you got into pot. You got so it, you got it can you got be it. quite helpful. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. How, how concerned are you when pets get into Halloween candy about xylitol? I mean, is where is that on your ideas of, oh, what if there's bad artificial sweetener in here? Um, how prevalent is that? What are you thinking about when you when you when I ask you that question? All right. So I will say I will sometimes see xylitol toxicity around Halloween time. Most of the time it's not associated with Halloween. Only terrible, terrible neighbors would give out candy that's sugar-free, right? So, <laughs> so we rarely see xylitol during Chris uh, during excuse me during Halloween. But I will say it's definitely a concern. If you look at any gum, mint, even melatonin, uh, kids' toothpaste, there is a ton of xylitol, and it's actually really popular in human medicine because it is supposed to reduce dental caries or cavities. Mm -hmm. Now, remember, just like with the abromine. It's the dose that makes the poison. My general rule is if you see xylitol listed in the ingredients, at least in the United States, within the first five listed ingredients, it's going to be a poisoning issue. Okay. If it's listed as the first ingredient, that means there's a massive amount of xylitol within that product. So in my clinical experience, what I end up finding is... It's usually sold in those um, hard plastic containers that you put sort of in the glove compartment or in that drink holder of your car. Yeah. So icebreakers, those have massive amounts of xylitol, typically one gram per piece of gum. 
Some even have 1.4 grams per piece. That's different than sock packs, packs that are made with cardboard. They usually have 14 to 17 pieces of gum. So Orbit, Trident are your classic sugar-free xylitol gums. And those usually list xylitol as a third to fifth ingredient, which usually has about 150 to 170 milligrams per kg. If xylitol is listed as the 20th ingredient, who cares? It's not going to be a big deal. But if you're not sure, I always tell people, call the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center because you want to do calculations to see if it's poisonous or not. I often will see the mistake where people will hospitalize a dog overnight or during the day for xylitol toxicity. And when I actually calculate it out, it's not a toxic dose. So we just have to be cognizant of that. Uh, We obviously want to treat it when appropriate. But again, it's a dose that makes the poison. And I start to become concerned with xylitol when it's greater than 0.1 grams per kg, which is 100 mg per kg. And at the dose, that's when we'll start to see hypoglycemia. At doses approaching 0.5 grams per kg or 500 mg per kg, we'll see liver failure. And that can be rarely deadly. Um, Thankfully, we hardly see that anymore because a lot of pet owners are so cognizant and so aware of social media uh, campaigns about educating people about xylitol dangers to dogs. Yeah, no, that's perfect. All right, cool. I'm feeling pretty good. Any last minute pieces of advice for me before I go wade into this and discuss amesis and supportive care? Yes. The one thing I would say is don't torture the dog or your technicians by making them give activated charcoal when it doesn't bind. Charcoal will bind to theobromine. So if the dog got into a massive amount of chocolate, absolutely give them some charcoal. But my little shortcut rule is if it ends with an all, it doesn't bind to charcoal. So things like xylitol, alcohol, so great. heavy metal, don't bind to charcoal. And I can say that to you since you're from the South. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. Oh, that's great. I'm going to jot that in the margin. Uh, that is that is a wonderful pearl. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Where can um where can people learn more about you? Where can people learn more about Vet Girl? Sure. They can find me at drjustinelee.com or at vetgirlontherun.com and uh, also on social media platforms. So typically Instagram and Facebook. Cool. Thanks again for being here. I really appreciate it. So fun. Always great to talk to you and good to see you. You too, buddy. And that's our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. If you did, um, first of all, go check out Vet Girl. Uh, their podcast is is exceptional. And second, um, I'd love if you left us an honest review on iTunes. It's how people find the show. It means the world to me. It gives me some guidance on what uh, what you guys like and what you don't like. And um, it's just, um, you know, a puppy gets its uh, wings if you do that. That's not a thing that happens, but it should be. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Uh, please share the word if you find it useful so that other people can find it useful as well. Take care, be well, uh, and I'll hope to see you guys very soon. Bye.